Okay, Jessica Long, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being on. Um, you know, I'm trying to just get around to as many friends and swimmers and and uh, people of influence out there and trying to just connect people. And so, uh, you know, you just told me that you're sitting at home in Baltimore right now and you're supposed to be somewhere else, right? Yes. Yeah, this, this has been wild. I was supposed to be out at the Olympic Training Center. I was going to make that my home for the next couple of months leading up to Tokyo. So that plan kind of shifted. Um, yeah, so I'm just hanging out in Baltimore for the time being until we kind of figure out what's happening with the pools. Yeah, I've kind of had a sense over the past few weeks where it's like, oh, it won't be that bad. It'll be okay. Well, this will happen, and then we'll go back to the normal life here. And you kind of have, you have it all planned out, and then all of a sudden, each day, the plan seems to change, right? Yeah, I definitely was in that boat with you, just like, okay, so where is this going? What's happening? Checking the news. Every time I got an email or breaking news or anything, it just seemed like, wow, this is getting more and more serious. Um, but this past week was definitely a tough week with just the uncertainty and just the unknown of what was going to happen. Um, and I think that's definitely been the hardest part is just the waiting. You know, I think as all of us athletes are still, we're still preparing, we were scrambling to find practices, you know, creating home gyms, just making anything work. Yeah. Yeah, it is, it's madness like that. Um, but, you know, obviously the announcement came out, I can't even remember when it was, maybe a couple of days ago now, but um, they announced that they would, <laughs> they would the Olympics um, would be put on hold. Did, did they mention at the same time the Paralympics would be postponed as well, or did they, did they just talk about the Olympics? I believe so, because it has to be a decision with the IOC and the IPC. Um, and they, I mean, they said within the next year, they would hope to have the games. Um, and I'm just, I'm reading all the same articles and I'm really glad that they first off made the call. Cause again, all of his athletes were scrambling a fellow, another Paralympic athlete and I were driving two hours away last week. Um, cause we found a pool. So we did that two days in a row. Um, and that was a total of eight hours of driving. And then they closed that pool down. Um, but I think it took a lot of pressure off the athletes. And obviously, this is a huge global thing that's going on right now. And at the end of the day, I totally support the decision. But my first, you know, my first reaction was, wow, okay. Okay, this was the best decision. A lot of pressure is, taking off, is taken off all of us athletes. But then the more, like, the feelings started settling in all yesterday, right? So I, I got the news. I was really positive, And I'm still trying to hold on to that positivity that it is the best decision. It's all going to be okay. But yesterday was definitely tough. Like, as the day went on, I just allowed myself to feel all the emotions. You know, I, I was sad for the athletes that it, we've trained so hard i felt like okay this is all okay we have another year and i was just going back and forth with every emotion possible yeah yeah absolutely it's been a swing hasn't it you know it yeah. certainly has been like that um you know what are, what are some of the who, who how'd you first find out who first told you the news well i think we it broke online um 
in the news outlets um, that one of our IOC members had said that there was, mm -hmm. it was most definitely going to get postponed, but that wasn't like the first sure. Like we got that article, we got that word. Um, and then yesterday was the official word from Sarah Hirschlin, um, who's the CEO of the US OPC. Um, so once that kind of came out and we all got letters in our, in our mailbox, um, we kind of figured out that, okay, this was a real, a real thing. Um, and I think just the way I'm looking at it is, okay, we have another year of training and it's just adapting and just adjusting your mindset, I guess, at this point. Yeah. Who coaches you right now? Um, my coach is Andrew Barenko. Um, so I'm training in Towson, which is, you know, in Baltimore. Um, but even that, his pools are closed, and we're just still hearing. There's still a lot of uncertainty. I can't even say that word, uncertainty. <laughs> um, just whether will the pools open in the next, you know, months, couple months. You know, we just we're still kind of hanging out on that word. Um, so, yeah, that's the hardest part. So this was going to be your fifth Paralympics, is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is wild. Um, it's been a crazy last four years since Rio. I've definitely um, taken time away from the pool. I've gotten back into swimming. I've competed. It's been, I got married. It's been, it's been a crazy four years, a really good four years. I would say just growing a lot as an individual and even just becoming a smarter athlete. I think that's one of the hardest parts is that everything really was coming together um, in my swimming. And I swim all for strokes. Um, in Paralympics, there's seven events, so I swim like every event, which means I have to train for the 400 to the 100 free, the 200 IM. So my coach and I, Andrew, we've been really working on just strengthening every single stroke. Um, and that's definitely the hardest part is just like, okay, like I was there, you know, in shape wise, and it was just fine tuning. But at the same time, I'm just trying to be like, just remember that I can get there again, you know, even with this little break. Yeah. I saw Michael Phelps came out yesterday and said something about, you know, he was worried about the mental health of athletes. Do you think that's, that's real right now uh, in, in terms of how some athletes will perceive this as, as something totally devastating? Absolutely. I, I mean, and even I think every swimmer kind of goes to this where swimming becomes your identity. Mm. And I think that that is totally, you know, swimming was a place that I was able to get out frustration about my adoption and my legs. And it became a place that I was winning gold medals and all of this glory. And, you know, it was a place that I found my worth. And I definitely had to do a lot of just working on myself as an athlete that, you know, I'm a person who loves to swim. I'm not just a swimmer. Um, it's something I love to do. It's something I still, you know, that's why I'm still a part of it. You know, even being 28, it's been over half of my life. Um, but I do think, you know, for some people that's, you know, they, it, it is their whole world and that, that will be really, this is going to be really tough. And I think the, um, team USA for Paralympics has done a great job. We have outlets to talk to people, um, our sports psych. Um, I am talking more to my therapist, um, but it will be really tough. And I think, you know, just shifting that mindset that, okay, here's where we're at. Here's where everyone, everyone is going through this, but at the same time, validating everyone's feelings that everyone's allowed to feel, you know, a little bummed out or a little bit like, okay, we, we have today and tomorrow to adjust. And then, then it's just preparing for Tokyo 2021. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, you've won, uh, what, an incredible amount of Paralympic medals in your time. Is, is it a total of 23? Is that count correct? I 
think so. <laughs> <laughs> so do you feel do you feel like you're a voice for the Paralympic movement now? Do you feel like you're worthy of of being a leader when it comes to having a voice? I hope so. I definitely think when you sign up, you know, when you're a part of Team USA, you are an ambassador for Team USA. And especially in the Paralympic movement, um, I've always wanted to go outside of the box. You know, I wanted to to train with Olympic athletes, which was super cool to train with Bob Bowman. And I swam with Michael and Allison and even being a part of Fitter and Faster, being, you know, a Paralympic athlete without legs. That was huge. And that was super cool. And I learned so much. Um, different times when I speak to schools or just, you know, talking to the the younger generation. Um, I think that's just kind of a role that happens when you, you, you're a part of this huge movement. Um, so I think just right now, my voice and what I'm just trying to let people know that, you know, our hard work will not go to waste. And the big picture here is that they didn't cancel the games. We still have an opportunity to step up and race. And right now just it's fine tuning and just holding on to that strength. And uh, we will have our moment. I think that's what I'm holding on to. Is it tough for a lot of the Paralympic athletes to to fund their training? It must be a situation where a lot of them actually uh, probably have, you know, jobs, full-time jobs, right? Yes, absolutely. So, I mean, with here in the U.S., we're not government-funded, just like mm. all the other teams and countries are government-funded. So we rely solely on, you know, our donors, um, you know, thankfully, I have some really amazing sponsors that help me pursue my dreams. Um, but it is really tough. And that is a really big conversation where we are now getting the same Operation Gold, but our monthly stipend is nowhere near where I think it should be. Um, so that's something I would love to see in the next couple of years, even come by the time LA 2028, I really hope we are getting the same monthly stipend. Um, and we're not, our NGB, we're not associated with USA Swimming. So we, everything's very separate and different. Um, but it is really hard. You can't live off what we get monthly. Um, so I, I definitely, got, my heart goes out to everyone who is, you know, at a point where, you know, they're scrambling and, and just trying to figure out what are the next steps. But I will say that is something I'm really fighting for. And I've had conversations um, with some of the, 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 the leaders who are in charge of that and just trying to make that come to life. Yeah. Yeah, there's no official word on the postponement of the trials yet for the Olympics uh, for the U.S. Um, how did how did the the Paralympians? How did you guys qualify for the Paralympics? Yeah, so this is a really unique and 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 different process. We were having our trials in June um, in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And they were going to kind of be the super trials, which meant that we had para swimming, para triathlon, and para track and field all at the same time. Um, but what kind of happens with us, because we are in different classifications, which basically classifications is, you know, I'm racing against someone who has the same ability that I do, and I'm a bilateral amputee. So I'm racing with people who are very similar to, to what I kind of deal with on a daily basis. But it goes from an S1 to an S10. And that's physical, right? We, with S1 being the most impaired, S10 being the least, you know, sometimes you're not even sure what they have. And they could have very mild CP. Um, and then we have a category S11 to S13, which is the visually impaired. And then we do have an S14, which is cognitive. Um, so all of that being said, there's a lot of classifications, mm, a lot yeah. of different abilities. Um, but our, our process is kind of, if you know your top three in the world, um, overall ranking in your classification, you can kind of bet that you're going to make the team. 
Um, but they also have this thing where it's kind of like a mathematical equation of percentages and how, so it gets really, really confusing. So you don't automatically know, say you're in the world rankings, you're seventh place. You won't really know how well you did or where they fill up the slots until the, they announce the team. Um, like the next after the competition oh, okay because all the world rankings kind of shift so oh, wow. i even get a little confused i'm just like i'll show up i'll be at the meeting <laughs> so there's even nervousness at the trials after you swim there's still a little nervousness right yeah because you just don't know it's not like that instant like you touch the wall and you know um but you're also you need to drop time in those world rankings to hopefully you know make the team yeah you did ask me about you asked me about Luna earlier. Here's, here's my yes, name. Luna. There's Luna. I can't believe I remembered her name. <laughs> you did. You did awesome. She's around. She's always at my feet during these podcasts. So, uh, oh, she's, she's down there. But so listen. Oh, so you're what? Twenty eight years old now. Yeah, I'm a leap year baby. So I had a birthday this this oh, year, wow. Olympic year. Yeah, oh, that's awesome. There you go. Well, listen. Most twenty eight year olds, most people in, in general, they live a whole lifetime and. And they're not worthy of having a book written about them. But you're you're 28, and you've already got a book written about you. And I tell you what, like just reading it, there is so much in here. Like you've lived a life, man. You have uh, you've got an incredible story. And I think um, you know most people, like I said, aren't worthy of a book. But certainly you are. And um, so can we just talk about some of this stuff a little bit? Is that all right? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously the first thing that, that jumps out is that you were, um, born in Russia, right? Is that yes. Siberia? Yep. Yeah. Good old Siberia. <laughs> yeah. And so when did, uh, when did you first come to America? Yeah, it's, I definitely feel like I have a lot of layers, a lot of, a lot of story to tell. Um, I came to the U.S. when I was 13 months old mm. and at 18 months, both of my legs were amputated. Um, so it's really all I've ever, you know, I came, I, I was raised in the long family and mm. it's pretty amazing how everything works out because they were told they couldn't have children. Um, they had two children and then they were told they couldn't have any more. Okay. So it's called second infertility, infertility. That's not, I think I said that right. But, um, yeah. so then they adopted us, my brother and I, and we were not biological. We were just in the same orphanage. And then they had two more like miracle babies after years and years of trying. Oh, um, wow. so yeah, part of the long family, big family, six kids. Mm. It was wild growing up in that house, but yeah. <laughs> and so then you're, you get into swimming at what age? So for me, I, I was really active. I think that came from having surgeries every couple months and really like think about that, right? So if I got my left leg done, um, because it was, it was called bony overgrowth. So every time I grew, the bone would kind of start to curve and it even came through my skin a few times in my leg. Oh, wow. um, but every time I grew, I had to get that cut, cut back. So if I got the left leg done, I would be all healed and then the right leg would need to be done. And then kind of vice versa. So I've had about 25 surgeries on my legs. And in that time I had to, I had to sit there and recover and then I'd have to learn how to rewalk all over again. So I don't really feel like I've ever just overcome my so-called disability. It's a constant battle to every day putting on my prosthetic legs and learning to walk. And, um, 
it was really amazing when I found swimming because I think for so long out of my childhood, like I don't remember a lot of it. And I think that's truly because it was so painful. Mm. I think because of all the surgeries and going back and forth and the uh, just not knowing why me, right? I didn't understand why I was born without legs. How do you tell a little five-year-old that you are very special and you're different and you're going to have this amazing life and you can do anything. And I truly believed all of that, but it was really hard. Um, so it was just, it made sense that I would find sports because mm. I think through the, the, the recovery process and sitting still, um, I needed to be active. So I found swimming at the age of 10 before I found swimming, I did gymnastics, but, um, I was just jumping on my knees cause I walk on my knees when I take off my legs and my parents were really afraid that would damage them. So swimming was the perfect sport and you're, you're not actually allowed to wear any form of prosthetic in swimming. So I loved it. Yeah. Well, there's definitely people that have talent for it. And, and I kind of wanted to get into this later, but we'll, we'll bring it up now. Like I've done a clinic with you before and oh, yeah. I was amazed immediately after seeing you get in the water and, and the way that you held the water, I was blown away by that. There's very few people in the world. I kind of compare you to like a Kate Campbell, um, who, who, when I look oh. at, I look at their stroke, I look at your stroke, I think it's, it's almost perfection. Like when you, or the way that your hand enters the water and non swimmers aren't going to really understand this, but swimmers are going to get it. The way that your hand enters the water and the way that you pull the water and the way that you move through the water is uh, very unique and very unlike anybody uh, that I've seen. Like I said, I can compare you to kind of a Kate Campbell or an Anthony Irvin. Now, people that just have a natural feel for the water. Did you, do you recognize that about yourself? Well, thank you. First off, that was a really fun clinic when we did that. Um, I learned so much. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I definitely think, think so. I would spend up to three hours working on that hand position with my coach. And we figured out pretty early that the only way I was going to really get power in the water without having a kick was developing this way to really grab the water and mm. have a high elbow. I can't tell you how many times I heard that in my life. And mm. I can tell right away if my elbows are dropping and that's something we're always working on is, is that balance. Um, but I, I worked hours and hours to even be able to, you know, have that body position, which is right on that surface of the water. Um, but that's, that's why I'm able to swim, to move, you know, I, it comes from my core and my upper body and my big muscles, but there's, I'm not getting anything out of my legs. So it's, it was hours and hours of trying to figure out ways to like, where does my power come from? Like we would analyze my stroke when I was a little girl and figure out ways that I could push and get ahead of people. And yeah. It worked. <laughs> yes, you're right. And, and I should have mentioned that too. It's certainly hours of work. We put in, we put in a lot of time and energy into this. There's no doubt about that. And you're, you're not one of those people that skips out on the work. Uh, you're definitely a hard worker, but you did have some success early as well. You know, you started, like you said, at around the age of 10, but you made your first Paralympic team at, at 12. Is that correct? Yeah. Crazy in Athens. Um, yeah, you know, I was not expected to go, not supposed to make the team. Um, but I think with that, when I, you know, now that I'm older and 28, I think when I look back, that truly came from a place of being a little 12 year old girl wanting to prove that I was enough. You know, I think you add an adoption mm. and just the fact, you know, I knew that I was adopted into this amazing family and I was given these opportunities 
just like having prosthetic legs, you know, kids in orphanage in Russia that you don't get access to the stuff that I was, you know, I had, and I was able to have these surgeries in a home. And I think it really came from a place of wanting to prove that, you know, I was worth it. You know, I, I think adoption is such a beautiful thing, but at the same time, it's a tough thing and I'm still working through it, the adoption part. Um, but I think as a little 12 year old, that's really where my drive and, and, and push came from, even though I was, I had, I had learned swimming and I understood it in this way. And I learned that if I pushed here with my arm, I could pass the person with legs. And I think though the drive to get to Athens really came from wanting to be, to be, to be enough. You know, I think that's, everyone kind of feels that way in some point in their life, just wanting to feel like they have purpose and that they're enough. Yeah. Yeah. I guess we all do. You know, it, it doesn't matter. Um, what our situation is, I think we all sometimes look in the mirror and, and think we're not good enough or we have doubts and we have insecurities and things like that. But I, I guess yours is, you're just the same as anybody else, right? Yeah. I think my insecurity is there for everyone to see, right. You know, growing up being the little girl on the pool deck without legs was certainly hard. Um, and it took me a long time to realize that this was my power. Like this is what, this is what makes me so unique and different. It's a, it's a positive, positive thing. Um, but when I was first swimming and first, you know, not really sure about, you know, missing legs, cause I had never seen anyone else that looked like me. You know, if you really let that sink in being a 10 year old up until the Paralympics, no one looked like me. I, I would go to really? grocery store. I would go to, you know, play, what are they called? Um, yeah, parks, I know what or yeah. just other kids. And I was yeah. homeschooled. So I never saw kids that looked like me up until mm. the Paralympics. And that really changed my perspective and helped a lot. So in, in terms of that, then <clears throat> you're, <clears throat> you're hearing how perfect you are and how great you are and how amazing you are from people all around you. But are you thinking something different in your head? Yeah, I still, I still think, you know, even though it's, I've gotten to a point where my legs are obviously what's made me the, who I am today, being a Paralympic swimmer and being able to win gold medals and the story that I'm able to share. And it's so much bigger than just me, right? There, there are, I think, and that's social media, right? We see so many more people out there, um, little girls who are born without an arm or, or someone who happened to be missing a leg from an accident. And, um, I think it's really cool to be able to share my story that anything is possible. And I'm really thankful that I had parents who, if I fell down and lost a leg, they would just be like, you can put it on yourself. Like they allowed me to fall down and get back mm. up. And that came from within. I had a, I was very determined, but, um, it is really cool. And there were insecurities, you know, there were days that I would hide my legs. There were days that I didn't really understand. And I was really angry. I think that was a very comfortable emotion for me, just anger. And I, I got it out all in the pool. I could swim for hours and get all that anger and frustration out. But I really learned quickly and, and or quickly, that's not true. It took me a little while, but there was one moment where I was in Starbucks, of course, Starbucks. We went to <laughs> Starbucks at that clinic. Yeah. And I just realized that, you know what, if, if I start, to, if I feel sorry for myself by not showing off my legs, it's inviting others to feel sorry for me. For me, and I, know, I don't want people to feel sorry for me. I want people to know that I have a story, and I'm willing to share it, and that I am really confident. And it's taken me a long time to get there. And people are going to stare, and people are going to not always say the right thing. But for the most part, people will react to how I react, right? If I'm just if I wear my shorts and I, I show off my legs, and I'm willing to share my story, people. Are, it's, it's inviting, you know, that just, Oh, like what happened or how are you? Or can you, you know, let's, 
I know someone who lost a leg and you're doing great. And I think that's been one of the most positives is just how I, um, how I am with my legs, right? Just, it's just, they're just legs. It's just it's like you put on your shoes and that's been really positive. I've seen a lot of great things with that. Well, you, uh, you won a, a few Olympia, uh, Paralympic medal, gold medals um, at your first Olympics in Athens. What was that feeling like getting on top of the podium at, at 12? It was pretty cool. I mean, I, I always knew I liked the color gold. Um, <laughs> and then I realized that, you know, I had an opportunity, opportunity to win. And we had done like a time trial event or just like timed the 400 before Athens started. So we were in the Olympic, like the Paralympic pool in Athens. And I dropped so much time that it put me first for the 400. So I knew I had a shot of winning a medal. I just, I didn't know that in the hundred freestyle, I was going to win the gold. And there was a moment where I was coming back in the race with the world record holder from Israel, who was right there. And I just remember thinking like, I did not come here to get second and we touched the wall and you had to look up at the scoreboard and it was by like a 10th of a second that I had out touched her. And, um, to be the youngest to go, to be the youngest to, it was just incredible. You know, I definitely, um, I think it just shook, shook my world. It was amazing. And, and I don't even know, like, it feels like it was another lifetime. Um, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, to, to win a Paralympic medal, to win any, any gold medal, you've got to have kind of a killer instinct. Do you recognize that about yourself? Like, do you just, do you love to win or do you hate to lose? Which one is it? I like to win. <laughs> um, but also I think it's a mixture, right? I hate to lose. I, you, you're going to want to like, if you want to out touch me, you're going to have to like kill me. That sounds extreme, but I, I don't know. I just have this desire when I set, when I set out to do something, it, it, it happens. It's crazy. And, and it's a lot of preparation. It's a lot of mental toughness. I think one of the biggest things that my dad and I, we've always called it my secret weapon was, um, the mental toughness, the mental aspect of, you know, visualizing my races and seeing it happen and preparing for anything, right? I have prepared in my head close races, close finishes, how I'm going to get in front. I, I think I see it all in my head. And I think when I can see it um, and I go through this whole process from start, middle to, to end, um, it's always been something that I just, I think it gives you confidence in this way that, okay, if I can see it in my head, then I, I hope it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Um, but I'm, I'm, it's, it's great. I'm, I'm passionate and, and competitive in everything that I do, which is great. But sometimes like, sometimes it's like, okay, cool it. Like relax. It's not a competition in this board game or this, just everything that I do, I can get a little too competitive. Um, even driving sometimes I'm like, okay, not everyone's racing you. Like just like, it's okay. Pump the brakes. <laughs> well, I found in myself that I, I'm kind of introverted, even though I've got a podcast now, which is crazy, but, um, <laughs> I, I, I've always felt uncomfortable in crowds. I've felt uncomfortable around people. Um, I haven't, I haven't truly been able to express everything, you know, like a true freedom, but when I'm behind the blocks and I'm in a competitive situation, it's almost like I become a different person. Like I, I become this, you know, crazed competitor who just wants to kill everybody you know like in that in that sense of just like i want to win you know um yeah. and i get that sense from you too like like I, you know i have insecurities and i'm and you have insecurities but it seems like when you get behind the blocks you become a different person 
Yeah, for sure. And I, I, even what you said about being an introvert, totally feel that. And I think swimming is a place that I feel most like myself mm. probably. And just that I'm able to unleash this, mm. this competitor that's really within me. And I, I do, I love, you know, I, I recharge a lot of times by myself. And I think that's why swimming and seeing the black line is so, was always so great. But when it comes time to race, I think it gives you that, I just think it gave me so much confidence. And I can even tell when I'm not swimming, like the insecurities creep up more about my legs. Um, mm. So swimming just, I think it's just one of the best, uh, it's the best. And you're right. Yeah. I totally become myself when I'm up in the blocks racing. Yeah. Now over time, you've obviously built up a reputation and there's a lot of pressure you become this you become this star you become the face of the of the u.s paralympic movement you know like <clears throat> what has that pressure been like and how have you dealt with that you know wow um it's crazy right because you know it's, i started as a little girl who just loved to swim i truly loved it i love the sport and i had my own role model um aaron popovich was my role model in the paralympic movement and she had sponsorships and she was a multi-gold medalist and i think that was that was someone that i wanted to be like and i think she it wasn't just me i mean she laid that she laid down the foundation for me and i hope to do the same for the next generation um but it is really exciting you know i would i would see people at meets you know talk about all the olympic athletes and want their autographs and and now it's like, wow, like I'll be at a swim meet and people are coming up to me asking me for my autograph or they are saying that they saw me in a swim swam magazine or doing the clinics. I can't tell you how many times I've gotten people um, where I've been at local meets here and from a clinic that I taught them, they've come up and been like, oh, like, can I have your autograph? You taught my clinic. And that's just insane and so cool that, you know, people are recognizing the Paralympic movement. And that was my dream as a little girl is that, you know, people would know what the Paralympics were and that we wouldn't have to explain it. You know, I think so often people, you know, for a long time, people weren't really sure what the Paralympics were. And, and I think we're really gaining momentum. And the fact that we changed, you know, from Olympic, from the U United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee, like mm -hmm. that is the step that we need to take. Um, there was one time I was at the, like, this, it was a media summit in 2008. And I remember seeing like Natalie Coughlin, Michael Phelps, and like another Olympic athlete. And they were like all catching up. It was like all the swimmers. And then it was like me and like another couple other Paralympic athletes. It was like only three of us got invited. And not everyone wanted to talk to us. Like some of the news outlets didn't even really want to, you know, some people wanted to talk to the Paralympic athletes, but not everyone. And um, I just remember staring at the, like, the swimmers and being like, one day everyone's going to know who we are and everyone's going to know this Paralympic movement. So it was a really surreal mo moment to, to train with Michael and Allison and, and Bob, to swim under Bob. And, and I think that for me, I needed to do that because so often people were like, oh, like, you know, you're in the Olympics. And I'd be like, well, I'm in the Paralympics, but it's the same thing. It's kind of confusing. And as soon as I said Paralympics, it was like they went from like, oh, that's amazing to like, oh, like, that's so sweet, like, good for you. And I think when I had the opportunity to train with like doing the Olympic workouts or whatever you want to look at, you know, the way you want to look at it, um, I think it really just gave me even more confidence that I am a good swimmer and not just a Paralympic swimmer. I'm a really, I am a good swimmer and I've worked really hard. Um, but I don't know. It's amazing. I'm, I'm so happy that it's, it's growing and I hope it continues to grow. Yeah, absolutely. I do too. And, and this is why I want to, I want to 
get you out there. You know, uh, you are very well known, but I think not well known enough for the accomplishments that you've achieved and, and the type of, um, the type of work that you put into this. You're, you're just not recognized enough for how hard you work, but, uh, but listen, so you've had, uh, multiple Paralympic games and, and you have different experiences at each one. I've been to five as well. And, and each one is unique, but do you, uh, do you have memories from each one or is there one particular one where you feel like that, that was my one or, you know, they, they all, are they all equal in your eyes? What is it like for you? No, I'm sure the same for you. You learn, you learn something new each time and, and it's cool to look back and see how much you've grown. Um, I mean, Tokyo will hopefully be my fifth games. Um, but for now, I would say my favorite was London, the London Games in 2012. Just because I feel like it was the first time that as Paralympic athletes, we had this like, cr like this monumental breakthrough. And it was yeah. the first time, like it was the Paralympic Village. It was, it felt so future forward that they, I mean, they were so on, on board with the Paralympics. Like we are now at a point where people know what the Paralympics were, but that was eight years ago where people knew who my parents were. They knew who I was. And of course I swam really well, so that always helps. Um, but it was amazing to see like the billboards and, and just the people, I mean, sell out crowds and our closing, you know, artists at the, at the games were Coldplay, Rihanna and Jay-Z. Like mm. it was just insane. Like we were the Paralympic athletes. Like it was, I was such a proud, so proud to be a Paralympian and really proud of that title. Um, but I also think Tokyo is going to be really incredible. And I had the opportunity to go there in 2018 to see a bunch of stuff being built, the pool. I got to walk the 50 meter pool. Um, so I, I'm really leaning towards Tokyo is going to be incredible. And I just have another year to over prepare. Yeah. <laughs> have they given you a chance to carry the, the U S flag? Yeah. Uh, no, no, what? not yet. Um, what? that would be pretty amazing. I was up for it in Rio for the closing. Mm. So because I swim so many events, I'll swim about nine events, including the relays. I've never had a chance. I haven't gone to opening ceremony since yeah. Athens. So yeah. I don't know about you. Yeah. So, and it's, you think about being an amputee, like I can't just stand around for five hours. That takes, mm. that will take me a couple of days to get back. Um, but yeah, that would be pretty cool. Um, to hold the flag. That'd be amazing yeah we need to start that process come on guys let's go get her the flag <laughs> crazy um yeah i had i had two experiences as swimmer and and two of them were very unique i actually went to athens as well but i, I went to sydney olympics in 2000 and that was my home awesome. olympics so my my idea there was like okay this is your one and only chance you're at the olympic games soak it all in enjoy the experience so i went to you know, I didn't swim till day seven in the 53. So they let me go to the opening ceremonies. I walked around and tasted all the food. I went and tried to talk to as many people from different teams as I could just meet people. You know, I tried mm -hmm. to take in the whole experience. And by the time I got to day seven, I felt exhausted. I was <laughs> like, oh, I've actually got a race today. I'm, I'm, I'm dead. And then I ended up going to the closing ceremony and everything. So I took in the whole experience and I, and, and I said to myself, if I ever make another Olympics, I'm going to go there to compete. And so when yeah. I went to Athens, I slept through the opening ceremony. I, uh, I didn't meet anybody. I ate the food that, uh, that I was restricted to eat. Like I, I went there as an athlete to compete. Have you had a, a similar experience like that? Or do you still try and take it all in? Yeah, that is really funny. It's true. Um, Athens was when I did all the 
I traded pins. Was yeah. that a big thing for you guys? Trading yeah. the pins. I still have them somewhere. Um, yeah, probably worth money now. Yeah, but now that I'm old, I'm like, I am not lifting a finger. Yeah. I'm just going to sit back. Yeah. Um, even walking to get food, I'm like, okay, that's energy to walk. Mm -hmm. um, but we, I mean, we have this really cool thing in the in our Team USA building. We have like a athlete lounge. So I would go like grab some snacks and head upstairs. And But it was also really cool because all of us athletes would get together and watch the opening ceremony or the, you know, together. Um, yeah. But energy is really important. So like, like pres preserving, um, conserving energy is yeah. like you, drinking as much water, checking it off the list. But I think that's the thing. I know the drill and I definitely know that like, just, I don't know. You, and you'll see that you'll see athletes get so excited and they're not racing till day four or seven. And you're just like, slow down, take it in, but like save that energy. Like you're going to, you're going to need it, especially being on a pool deck, which is already sucking out so much, you know, hydration. And, and we yeah. have, we hear that all the time, but yeah. Yeah. I feel like the whole world is on swimming taper right now. The, yeah. <laughs> the world is experiencing what we go through in taper, you know, just sitting around. You just sit there, yeah. I've, I'm telling you, I've painted, I've painted both of the closets. I've <laughs> read a book. I've organized everything. I have a little home gym. I've been like doing my PT is still open. So still trying to get some PT in there, but yeah. 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 It's like that for sure. We got a lot of energy to get out. What are, what are some of the things that you're doing at home to stay fit? Yeah. I, well, at PT, they've been really great. Um, just definitely all the mobilities, you know, the IT wise, I feel like mm -hmm. I've a lot of swimmers hear that, um, kettlebell swings, abs, okay. um, just trying to stay more mental. I would say for me, it's just a lot of talking in my head. You're just like, okay, it's going to be okay. We're going to get back into shape. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's been tough. I will say that it's been. You know, I go through everything. Right in the in the morning, I'm super motivated. Mid afternoon, I'm like, oh my goodness, what am I gonna do? And then by nighttime, I'm like, okay, now it's time for bed. New day, new day. Um, but what's yeah. helped me is still being in a routine. And I would say that any athlete, especially swimmers, we understand that routine is really key. And I think routine is the key to success, um, especially being at a games or a competition. So I'm just trying. I wake up, I make my bed, I try to get a little workout in. I have. I mean, and the internet is amazing. Um, there's all sorts of stuff that we can log into and, and, and stay sharp with our exercises and stuff. Yeah. Do you normally do any type of cross training out of the pool? Like, do, you know, ride bikes or rowing machines or any, anything like that? Yeah, I feel like it's a mixture. Um, definitely swimming is the main, main thing that I'll do just with not having legs. That's like where I get all of my exercise, but I'll be in the weight room. Um, and we do a lot on my legs. So you wouldn't think that, you know, being an amputee, my legs are pretty weak. So I'm always trying to strengthen my legs. Um, so like lots of squats, kettlebell swings, TRX, like I'll hold a TRX band and do squats and try to hit, you know, really sink into my, my heels. Cause I don't, that's not like a natural movement. Um, yoga, Pilates, riding a bike, rowing machine, you name it, just trying to stay active. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, now we have a mutual friend and uh, Paralympic athlete, Dave Denniston. And uh, <laughs> Dave and I, Dave and I Dave swam together. Now did Dave, oh, he, was he your coach at one stage? Yeah. Dave was my coach for three years. And he okay. was, I love Dave, my favorite coach. Dave. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's a good man. He's a good man. So I, I did a little podcast with him the other day and it was, it was awesome to kind of reminisce on some of that stuff. But, um, yeah. you know, he's got an incredible story too and he should probably write a book as well. But, you know, you did mention earlier that you, you have 
had some issues with your adopted family, not, not issues with them, but just dealing with that. Has that been a challenge for you? Like what, what's been hard about that? Being adopted in the family. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I, I think adoption is just, it's hard no matter what. Um, and I've actually been in therapy the last couple years, just counseling therapy about it, just, which is so funny because I went into it thinking I was going to talk about swimming. Right. And what ended up coming out is, is talking about the adoption and, and it is really interesting. I spent a year in an orphanage and crazy stuff. Like, you know, when I was, when I was younger, like as a baby, you don't, you don't cry in an orphanage because no one comes to you. So like, as I've gotten older, I realized like crying, like that emotion, feeling emotions, um, crying has always been really hard. And I think it stems from being in that orphanage because no one comes to you. So there's a lot of crazy stuff. And especially being from Russia. Um, but yeah, it was really hard. I think a lot of times felt like a burden. I think, you know, I was adopted into this amazing family who they, they said all the right things, right? They did an amazing job. And I realized that not a lot of people are adopted into such an amazing family. Like my parent, I mean, we would have these cute family dinners and they supported my swimming and they, it was always my decision and, and they allowed me to have dreams and find a passion. Um, but at the same time, like I was going to surgery every couple of months and I definitely felt like such a burden, you know, like this is wow. such a, like, I, I can't even help this, but I mean, again, 25 surgeries, that's a lot, or prosthetics. Mm. It wasn't cheap, right? Finding legs that are so expensive and not all Mm. insurance companies cover it. And I think that was really hard. But once I found swimming, that was a place that I, you know, I was able to bond with my dad. And he was the one that actually first told me I would have a book one day as a 10-year-old, you know, driving to swim practice. He was like, Jess, I think you're going to have a book. And I was like, I've never, I've never done anything in swimming that big. So I just, it, I was always, a do- I was given a really great family, um, but it is crazy. You know, I don't look like them. I'm the blonde in the family, um, <laughs> but I don't know, still working through it. I think it's always a process. And as long as you're, you know, working through it, that's the best you can do. And then you told me a crazy story when we were at the clinic, just sitting, having dinner one night where, where you said that it was almost a, uh, brought to you as a surprise as a shock like didn't weren't they doing a story or someone investigated the fact that they found your you know your... oh yeah oh that was that the family that you were talking about i just started talking about my <laughs> no no i mean look I, like i said you've got a book you, it's worthy there's of a, a book you know so there's so Russian much there yeah. yeah yeah that story so, was crazy yeah so i i had just gotten comfortable with talking about my russian family because it was like something i didn't really even want to talk about at that point like it felt it felt i don't know it felt like kind of me like i was adopted into a family like i didn't want to talk about the russian family because i felt like it was going to hurt my parents in some way but so i i decided to do a russian an interview with a russian news outlet and just I just said I would be open to the idea of finding my family. Mm. So they must have taken that as let's go find her family. So Um. they went and found my family, but the timing of it ended up being like, I was about to compete in the London Paralympics Mm. and not a lot of people knew that I knew they were going to tell me after I competed, but um, they went and found my family. And it's crazy because my, my birth mom over in Russia ended up marrying my birth father which doesn't happen. And then they had three children on after giving me up. So I think she was 16 or 17 when she gave me up for adoption, which mm. is just crazy. But yeah. And then you did have a chance to meet them at, at some point, right? I did. I did. So I ended up going back with NBC and they filmed the whole thing. 
And that was the most emotional. I mean, that was tough. And I remember like, like it was during a time I was training with Bob and just like, can I go? Like, can I miss training? Like, do I, do I go and meet my family? Um, and I ended up doing it and it was probably, it was the hardest thing I think I've ever done. And I didn't just do, you know, I brought my little sister, Hannah, who wrote the book unsinkable with me. Um, but when I got out of that car, that van about to meet my family in this purple house, there was like 30 cameras. There was people on the roof. There was guards. I mean, it wasn't like this, like sweet little, like it was a lot to take. Wow. I, I think I was maybe 20, 21, 22 when wow. that happened. Um, it was hard. That's hard for a 20 year old and early, you know? Yeah. And yeah. I just didn't know how to handle it, but I'm really glad that I met them and we still communicate on Facebook today. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, it's, it's an incredible story. And like I said, it's certainly, certainly worth worthy of a book and people should go out there and read this thing. It's amazing. So much, <laughs> so much in there. Um, but then, so recently you just, uh, you got married, right? I did. Yeah. Did it. Wow. And I, <laughs> Awesome. How did that, where'd you, where'd you meet your husband? We met, okay. We met at a flannel Friendsgiving party. So everyone wore flannel and brought a Thanksgiving dish and it was like football and we played game. It was really fun. Um, was this in Baltimore? Like first. This is in Baltimore. Okay, yeah. yeah. I wasn't like, he wasn't even, gonna, he wasn't going to go. I went with my roommate. Like we did, we had a lot of mutual friends. I'm surprised we hadn't met each other yet, but we ended up being friends for a long time before we started dating and he knows nothing about swimming. He's a soccer player. He That's was. good. That's good. So that helped. But, uh, but yeah, it's been, it was crazy. I, I, we dated for about five years and then got married. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. What's his name? Uh, Lucas. Winters. Lucas. Okay. Yeah. Lucas. So what does Lucas do now? So he actually just started working for the U S soccer foundation. Um, and oh, wow. he coaches soccer. Mm. Um, so with everything going on, he's here somewhere, um, working remotely. So, it's been fun getting to spend some extra time together. He's got to do that toilet paper challenge where he does the jug. He juggle, did. Juggle. He did. He did that. He did it. Yeah. He <laughs> tagged a bunch of people. I was like, I, I should do it now. Oh uh, yeah. Get on that. That's awesome. We should start a swimming challenge. We yeah. Do? There's gotta different. be a, there's gotta be an at home swimming challenge of some sort, right? Something we could start it. We'll start it. Let's do it, Jess. Come on. Well, that's cool. Listen, I appreciate you taking the time. I really just wanted to get your thoughts on the postponement. And um, is there anything else you want to add to that? Luna's going a little crazy here. <laughs> I guess, I mean, just as athletes, just we're adapting and it's a new challenge, but just keep the preparation going and control the controllables. Um, I definitely, I learned that from Davo, Dave Denniston, just you know, I'm in control of my actions and my attitude. And mm. I think right now that's something I'm really going back to what Davo taught me, just that I can control me, meaning just having that positive attitude. Um, but I can't control the situation and just doing the best that we all can. I think that that helps, you know, that we're all going through it and just to control the controllables. Do you journal at all? How do you control your thoughts? I do. I do. I definitely think that helps and just back to that visualizing that we're still going to have Tokyo and, and journaling is really, has been great. Um, but spending time, you know, by myself, right. Being an introvert, right. I, I like having my coffee and just thinking through the day and, and trying to set that routine, even though there feels like there's no routine right now, just creating a routine has helped. Yeah. Well, I know what you, I know what you feel and, you know, I want to get back to doing some clinics with you again. So I'm looking forward yeah, to that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Cool. Well, listen, appreciate you chatting, taking the time. Um, thanks again. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care, girl. Bye. Bye.